Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of the Merry-Go-Round podcast. My name is Mary Brasha, and I'm your host. This podcast is powered by Selkirk Sport. We are Pickleball. I just got back from Florida. Maggie and I competed in the Hertz Gold Cup in Daytona Beach. It was very rainy and windy, but on Saturday for women's doubles, it was sunny and Maggie and I actually made it to the quarterfinals. So I'm very happy with that result. And that combined with the results at nationals earlier this month, just really feeling good about our momentum going into 2024 as a team and excited for what's to come in the new year. With it being Thanksgiving time and the holiday season, I wanted to take a minute to say how grateful I am for the sport of pickleball and how it's changed my life for the better. If you would have asked me a couple of years ago if this is what I would be doing with my life, I would have never thought. And to be here today doing this podcast, being on the tour, I mean, just all of the crazy things happening in my life, I'm just very thankful for and excited to see what's to come. A common theme on this show is the concept of playing with a loved one as I compete with my sister on tour. I think it is such a special thing, but it can also be tough at times because you'll definitely say things to a loved one on the court that you would not necessarily say to someone you don't know as well. Our guard can be let down. And Maggie and I definitely hit rock bottom at the PPA Las Vegas tournament in our partnership. And After that tournament, we really looked at ourselves and each other and decided we're going to change our behavior and the way we treat each other and just work on new ways to improve as a team. And ever since then, I feel like we've just been getting better and better as a team and I'm super proud of us. And so what I want to say to you guys listening is if you play with a loved one and you feel like, gosh, I just, I can't do it anymore. It's getting too tough. We're too competitive or something's going on on the court. Don't give up on that. It is such a special thing to play with a loved one and you can work through it. You can do it. And I just wanted to give you guys encouragement to continue with that. Now I'm going to introduce you guys to our guest for the day. He not only serves as the coach of both Maggie and me, but more importantly, he is our dad. Please welcome to the show, Vinny Brasha. Hello, dad. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Excellent. This is exciting. I see you even have your own little microphone. I do. I I like it. I like my tech stuff. Very official. I hope you had a cup of coffee this morning too. I know you're a new coffee enthusiast. Oh, yep. I am. Maggie Maggie did me well by getting me a cup of coffee. So <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you to Maggie. So Thank you, Maggie. Well, dad, welcome. The people want to hear what you have to say. I I want to start out with how you got into pickleball and why you feel like I needed to play. Well, that's a, that's a good question. Um, And I feel like I got big shoes to fill Mary because I'm following in the footsteps of of Wes Gabrielson and Cameron Irwin here. So a lot of pressure on this, uh, this interview, but uh, the pickleball thing um, I played for the, I'd heard about it. We're a tennis family, as I think a lot of folks know, and I'd heard about it for years. I never, never had a bad attitude towards it. I just never had time to play. 
And on my 50th birthday, um, you know, your mom and I were trying to figure out something to do. And I said, let's go play pickleball. And so we just went to the community courts and we were fortunate here in South Orange County that we had a very active park that had a lot of really nice people and nice players. Very welcoming. We ran into some old tennis friends we had not seen in years and I was hooked. I went back and played every day for, I think it was about three and a half weeks straight till I hurt my back. I played so much and I just loved it. And I, I didn't know anything about a pro tour, didn't know anything about, you know, tournaments. I just knew that this was really social and really fun. And, and given your tennis background, given Maggie's tennis background, and, and even some folks don't realize we have a third daughter, Molly. I'm representing her today with the hat. She's up at... Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Nice win over SC. We like that. Um, but uh, she, uh, I wanted to get you guys into it because I just thought it would be really fun and, and social. And, and who knew that it would explode the way that it has? So, you know, sometimes, sometimes good fortune just falls upon you. And, and that was definitely the case with pickleball. Yeah, I am so thankful you introduced me to pickleball. I remember at the end of 2019, before COVID hit, we went on a cruise. Oh, yes. Caribbean, and there was actually a pickleball court on top of the ship. And so we played pretty much every day on the cruise. And that was kind of my first introduction. And then here we are today. So, yay. <laughs> That's correct. Right before COVID hit. That's right. Well, now I want to talk about some different subjects that we tend to talk about in our family about things in pickleball that may need to be addressed. And the first I want to start out with is nationals and the rating system for amateurs. Yes, nationals. So a little background on that. I had probably 40 plus students that played in nationals this year. I played the last two years. I did not play this year. Uh, I had about 40 plus students that played this year. When you count members of, of the various clubs we're at, we probably had another 30 or so folks. And um, the, the, the two big things that I would say are takeaways from nationals. Number one, the, the overriding point is that of those 60 to 70 folks that went, and that's about 10% of the whole California delegation. I think California sent 600 plus people and I, I probably have ties to about 70 of them. Um, none of them are going back. They are absolutely to a person has said they don't want to go back next year. And that's a big concern. Um, so I, I definitely hope that USA Pickleball can get on that, survey these folks, find out what they need to fix to make it better. And, and you referenced the, the, the ratings and things. And that was kind of the biggest complaint. Forget all the other stuff that we've heard about. That wasn't even the biggest issue. The biggest thing was that a lot of these folks are very good pickleball players, you know, 4-0, level. But their UTPR rating is not reflective of that. And so a lot of these folks were being forced to play in like three, five brackets. They, they were playing a, a point and a half lower than what they really should be, what they play at in local tournaments. And so they get accused of being a sandbagger. They're playing with other sandbaggers in there and it just wasn't a good fit. So I, I think that's one of the big things that has to be fixed just from a, from a big scope is, is the rating system has to be accurate. And I think you just have to allow people to play up if they want to play up. It's just, I don't see the harm in that. So hopefully that gets rectified by next year and gets fixed. And hopefully these folks that, that are, are swearing they're not going to go back will change their mind and, and go back and play again next year. Yeah, that definitely is a bummer to hear there were some issues, but hopefully we learn from them and more people go back next year. And well, I, oh, oh, I was just gonna say, I mean, and it's such a contrast because your experience was so, I mean, scale of one to 10, the experience for you and Maggie was a 10. I mean, 11, really. It was a great experience on every level. 
And then to hear the amateur experience was was like a, a you know a one or a two for a lot of folks, um, even folks that medaled. I mean, they won a medal at nationals and it was still very disappointing. That's got to be fixed. And and I think they'll get it fixed. I'm I'm an optimist and I I think that that you know the smart heads will jump in and, and get this thing worked out. We have to for our sport. We have to get it fixed. Yes, totally agree with all that. Maggie and I definitely had a good experience. Obviously, I'm still thinking about how fun of a weekend that was. And a new thing was introduced at nationals, which was the progressive draw where we played three out of five instead of the normal two out of three. And I wanted to hear why you like or do not like the progressive draw for the pro division. I, I loved it. Um, I loved it from a playing standpoint. I thought that it made I thought it did a couple of things. Number one, it it, it made nationals seem like a, the big tournament that it is. Uh, it's kind of like the, the grand slams in tennis. You play best of five sets. I think it was appropriate to do that here. I think from a fan standpoint, I think the progressive draw is probably where the sport is going to go because I know for me, and I, I know everybody, so I like watching everybody, but uh, it was nice to be able to schedule your day and plan out your day around the folks and or the events or the matches you wanted to watch. The way it works now, where you just run through the whole draw in one day, um, I mean, that works, but it's also more difficult. You don't know who's up next. You don't know when they're going to be playing. It's just it's a little bit trickier. And I thought that this system where, OK, I knew that mixed doubles was going to be here in the middle of the day. Gender doubles was going to be in the evenings. I got singles in the morning. I just like being able to kind of plan my day around that. Um, I think the players liked it too, by and large, right, Mary? I liked the progressive draw. I think the only thing is as a singles player as well, it is a long day if you're playing all three events in one day. So maybe there will be some adjustments with timing. And, you know, if you have a late match at night, maybe they'll consider you to play a little later in the day the next day, because, you know, again, it's a learning process, but definitely like three out of five it feels more grand it just feels fun so I am excited to do it again because I know we're gonna keep this format for a limited number amount of tournaments in 2024 but you know maybe it will become the thing we'll see yeah I, I love the three out of five I, I think it's great I think it's where I think it distinguishes pro pickleball in a lot of ways so hopefully they they continue to adapt this and, and use it again Yes. Moving on to another subject, line calling in the pro pickleball sphere. The next subject I want to talk about is line calling in the pro pickleball sphere. What do you think about this? Well, I, I think that you have to take line calling out of the hands of the players. I mean, um, the, yeah, there's just no other professional sports where the where the athletes are responsible for officiating. Uh, and whether that's just more officials on the court, which would be the easy solution right now. I, I know you don't have enough officials sometimes um, or the camera technology on each court. And, and this is where I think the progressive draw makes a lot of sense because the progressive draw allows the tournament directors to have fewer professional courts because you're spreading the play out over the course of the day rather than we got a lot of matches in the morning and then it winnows down to where there's like one court being used late in the day. And so if you had, say, four or five or six pro courts being used, you could have camera technology on each one of those courts. You could have officials on each one of those courts. So I, I think that's critical in 2024 that it gets it gets taken out of the hands of the players. And, and I know from a personal standpoint, you, Mary, are one of the most generous line callers in all of pickleball. And mm -hmm. look, at, I'd rather have you be that way than the other way, because because that's that's being the sports person that you are. But um 
you know, it's tough because you you play some out balls now and again, and those are important points. And, you know, you can't give anything away in this in this pro division. So I would just like to see it. I think it just makes the sport better. Yeah, I know for me personally, this is probably the biggest subject I'm passionate about right now in the pro world is getting a line calling system with video review for just no matter what. I mean, obviously you have to use your timeouts or whatever the pickleball rules will be, but just something to take it out of the player's hands because no one line call does not determine a whole match, but there have been several critical points in my career that, you know, a line calling situation has affected the match in some way. And then on my end, yeah, I've definitely played too many out balls in my time, but I'm trying to get better. You know, I just rather play it and not, you know, hook someone than not, but we're learning, we're growing. It's okay. But that is the line calling system situation currently. And I can't wait to see what they do about it in the future. Well, I mean, there was a huge point in the final with Annalie and Catherine. It was, I think, nine all or 10 all. It was a big point. And, and Catherine called it wide and live. It looked like it might have been a little bit out. Annalie, you know, questioned it initially because to her, it might have looked in. It was insanely close. And the bottom line, like Dave Fleming was saying, hey, we just want to get it right. And I think that's what it needs to be used for is, is you know, no one's trying to. Well, OK. You don't want to cheat anybody out of a call, especially in a big point like that. But you're just trying to get it right. And that's what it needs to be there for. It needs to take it out of the player's hands um, so that you just don't have any of that controversy taking place. The next subject I want to discuss a little bit about is partner dropping. Oof, this is not a fun subject. It is happening more and more. I don't personally believe in it, but you have come up with an idea that I think would be really good for pro players, which is the concept of a partner contract. Why do you think this would be a good thing? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it there has to be some type of agreement between partners because whenever a drop takes place, it, it usually leaves it leaves the, the dropped player in a very awkward, difficult position. They're scrambling to find a new partner. Um, a lot of times they don't see it coming, so they haven't been really preparing for it mentally. And I, I think an agreement that, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily have damages in there where you've got to pay a penalty or something if you drop someone. I mean, you could, you certainly could do that. And, and most of these players have agents and they, they may want to go that route. But I think what it has to have is that, look, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna play for the whole year or six months or whatever it is. We're going to sync up at, at six weeks, two months, three, whatever it might be. And we're going to discuss where we stand as a partnership. And, and it's a relationship and you have to work through that stuff. And I think that an agreement would, would outline the various steps and the measures that you would go through in order to either salvage the partnership and make it better, <clears throat> or you just agree that, okay, it's time to cut bait and move on and, and go in a different direction. But that way people know ahead of time what to expect rather than what's happening now, which is where you know someone gets a text and it's always a text. It's never an actual phone call. It's a text saying, hey, yo, yeah, I think I'm gonna play with so-and-so in this next event. And uh, you know, I'm really sorry, but thanks for playing with me. And I mean, that's just, that's just Bush League. And, and I think this would solve a lot of that. So. Hopefully we see some of that next year. The last subject I want to talk about is kind of the schedule for next year. I was plugging in all of the events into my calendar yesterday. I am a huge planner. I think the calendar app is my favorite app. And it is 
a lot of events combined. But what do you think about, and I say combined with MLP and PPA, what do you think about the schedule for next year? Well, it's it carries a couple of meanings in our house. You are a big planner. Um, and I know you've talked to some other pros who are similar to you where they they really like to have things planned out and they don't work well when things are up in the air. So it's a little stressful because, um, you know, I, I think it's been released, but I'm not sure how official everything might be. I mean, every year there's been changes. So I don't think that's, I don't think, don't think that's being harsh to say that, that, you know, things are probably going to change a little bit because there've been changes every year and there probably will be next year. Um, for Maggie, it's tricky because as a college student, a full-time college student, it's, it's tough to get to a lot of these events, but she makes it work and she does an amazing, amazing job with that. And her school is supportive. Um, I, I, I think that there's, I, I like the PPA side of things. I think they have a good balance of tournaments. I think there's 24, 25 with a couple of TBDs thrown in there as well. And that seems like a reasonable number. I'm guessing they might expand it a little bit as the year goes on. Uh, the MLP events, it needs to just be explained how those are going to work out. It looks like they're going to be the weekend before, kind of like the way it was in Dallas, where you had the MLP in the weekend, a couple of days off, and then you have the PPA event with a progressive draw. I mean, that makes sense to me. It is a professional sport. You're going to have to put some time in. Um, it was tough. I think most players felt it was tough being in Dallas for, not that Dallas was bad, Dallas was great, but a lot of folks were gone for 14 straight days and you're in the same hotel room or the same Airbnb or the same whatever it is for those 14 days. That's a long time on the road at one place, especially like with you guys, you made it all the way to, to Sunday. That's, that's a long time there. And I think that'll be interesting to see how players adapt and adjust to that next year. I had a lot of fun in Dallas because we did celebrate Maggie's 21st birthday. And I think that's a big thing to think about too, as we have these extended stays in places with the combined schedule, do something fun while you're in the town, maybe explore a new restaurant. I'm a big foodie, so I always love trying new things, but just making the most of your trips to these places, I think is really going to be important. And this is what I think is huge about the progressive draws, because if you're going to be so the BNP Paribas Open, which is the big tennis tournament that takes place in Indian Wells, you know, the pros are out there. They love that event. What they love about it is they do a lot of stuff during like if, if Nadal's got a night match, he's doing stuff during the day. He's playing golf. He's doing an appearance. He's doing stuff during the day. He can plan around that. And that's what the progressive draws would do for you guys as well with these long events. You could have stuff planned between your matches and still play your, your four o'clock match or your yeah. five o'clock match. And that's, that's much easier than the current system where you're, you know, you're, you're there at nine o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and you're, and you're not sure when you're leaving. So Correct. makes sense. All right. We are shifting gears to a different little segment of the show this week. I had asked everyone on Instagram to ask me a couple questions about maybe what it's like to be on the pro tour or just things you'd like to know about pickleball in general. And so we got some responses, but I actually had my dad look at the responses and come up with a couple questions to ask me so you can learn a little more about me and my pickleball journey. So dad, you are now the host of the merry-go-round podcast for the next couple of minutes. Take it away. This is fun. So I get to be the person hosting now. So this is fun. Um, Number one, we're going to do a bag check. You never got to do a bag check before. And being tennis people, we are very familiar with the bag checks. So this came in from a lot of folks, actually. And it is, what do you keep in your pickleball bag? 
Yeah. In my pickleball bag, first of all, I always have a couple paddles. I like to keep three paddles in my bag because you never know if you're going to need to switch one out. Um, I keep a jump rope in my bag so I can always get my feet moving before a match. I also have a little massage gun that I got from Costco. It's super effective to kind of use when you're feeling sore. And I also keep a towel, sunscreen. I'm pretty fair skinned. So I'm trying to always protect myself from the sun. And that's about it. But pretty simple, but just the essentials. Excellent. All right. Question two. This also came in from a lot of folks. And I know the answer, but tell everybody. What do you like to eat on a tournament day? On a tournament day, I eat pretty light. I don't know if it's just the adrenaline or what, but I always go to Trader Joe's and buy just sliced turkey breast. I just eat it by itself. It gives me the protein I need to get me through the day. But if I want to eat something a little more, if I have a longer break, I'll always get a Trader Joe's salad. But the summary is that we go to Trader Joe's. We always find one in whatever location the tournament's at. And we stock up on all the good snacks. Yeah, and usually the day, just so a little add-on, is, is dad telling Mary, make sure you eat, make sure you eat, make sure you eat. So it's, uh, yes, yes, that's my, my job. So, all right, question number three. All right. Um, ooh, I like this one. And it was going to happen, but it didn't because you got sick. What would it be like to face off with Maggie at MLP? Oh, my yeah, I guess that's the only one good thing about being sick a couple months ago was we were supposed to play each other in pool play and we didn't have to at MLP, but definitely something I do not want to do. I know some siblings may want to play their sibling and just beat them. Maybe you're super competitive. We're definitely competitive, but I want Maggie to win and I know deep down she wants me to win. And so it's very hard for us to play each other. We've had to do it a lot and mix doubles in the past and it's never fun. Uh, don't want to do that. Really try to avoid it. Hopefully we can maybe be on the same team again in MLP in the future. We were on the Jackrabbits together in 2022. Never forget the Newport event. That was so fun, but I think we're just getting better as a team. So team owners, you know, that might be the way to go is to draft the brushes together. <laughs> okay. And then uh, another one that came in from a lot of folks is what do you do with your downtime on tour? Yeah, I haven't really had a long break until now. I just got home for the holidays. But I think an exciting thing coming up this month is dad, we're going to see John Summit together. <laughs> Raise the roof. You love John Summit. I do like John Summit. What a life was my theme song for this summer. So I am a huge John Summit fan. And I'm going to be the only person at this EDM show with gray hair. And that is going to be very embarrassing. But I love my children for agreeing to go with me. So thank you. Yeah, we love John Summit music. So if you're listening, John, please come play pickleball with us while you're in town. We are so excited to see you in concert you know a big thing for our family is before tournament days if we're all together in the car on the way we pump up the music we love the edm to get us ready for the day and it's just a fun thing to do those fun carpool karaoke dance parties and 
I don't know. It's something I'll always remember. So yeah, definitely. I like going to concerts. I love trying new food places in the area. We have a lot of good food in SoCal and yeah, lots of fun things to do, but just really excited for the holidays. Well, I am going to wrap up this interview. Thank you, dad, for coming on the merry-go-round podcast. Do you have any final thoughts? Oh, I just, I mean, it's, it's Thanksgiving week. And I just think that, um, I'm just so thankful that we found this amazing sport, um, for our whole family and and for you guys, for you and you and Maggie in particular, and even Molly, number three plays with her friends. Um, they play up at UCLA as a matter of fact. So, uh, I, I just think it's, it's just such an amazing sport. Um, it's opened up so many wonderful doors for you guys. You've met so many wonderful people. So I'm very thankful that this sport entered our lives and it's become such a big part of our life. It's very positive. And um, I just, uh, I, I, for all those folks out there in our pickleball family, I am thankful for all of you and all of your friendship and, and all of your support and looking forward to a, uh, a great end of the year and then a wonderful 2024. Couldn't have said it better. Yes, totally agree. Very thankful for pickleball and all of the amazing people we have met. And dad, I know you're, getting into social media, the people can find you at Vinnie Brasha Pickleball. Who knows? Maybe we'll have some instructional content coming from you soon. I, I don't even know how to log in. So I, I, I don't, I don't know how to post. <laughs> we will help you. Thank you. But thank you. thank you to everyone who tuned into this episode of the Merry-Go-Round podcast. We will see you next time. Bye.